Welcome to Into the Colaverse, a podcast that takes us on the unique journeys of faculty in the College of Liberal Arts at UT Austin. Join me, your host, Frederick Luis Aldama, as we learn of the many ways that our faculty and their cutting-edge work is transforming the world today. It is my great honor to welcome Paola Bonifacio, Chair of the Department of French and Italian, where she is also Associate Professor. Welcome, Paola. Thank you. Nice to be here in the virtual space. Yay, into the Colaverse. Here we go. <laughs> so I have, I'm bursting with all sorts of questions about your, your journey, your, your origin story, um, the books you've published. Uh, your your work on the the photo novel, of course, we have a, a very rich tradition of that in in Latin America as well. Yes. But before we jump into that, um, and you know, you've got your PhD at NYU and an MA at Pitts University of Pittsburgh. You've had a National Endowment for the Humanities um, fellowship. But how what launched you on your journey, and maybe especially just because I'm. S- you know, selfishly asking, um, what got you interested in in this area? Well, you know, in American comics, we call f- fumetti anything mm-hmm. that has photographs. Um, but I know that that's actually the term simply for comics in Italy. But tell me about everything: film, co- uh, photo novels, your journey. Was it something you were, you know, in the water you were drinking as a kid? <laughs> well, no, not really, actually. Um, I graduated in Italy. Uh, I did my BA in um, performance studies. So I actually started by studying theater and um, in drama theory. But then when I went to when I came to the US for my PhD, um, I just got very much interested in film studies. So I'm a film scholar by training. Um, but what really intrigues me in terms of research is to study what we can say, you know, quote unquote, marginal um, products, you know. And so as I was, as a film scholar, um, I became interested in in photo novel uh, because of the way in which they were both extremely successful, but then at the same time, completely, you know, absent from scholarship, despised in the press, uh, considered like trash um, culture. So in a way, I kind of arrived at, um at this uh at this book that I just published uh from a sideway, you know, from more more intrigued by uh the old cultural phenomenon than by the uh object itself. And and kind of I did the same with my my first book was instead about these uh totally unknown but hundreds of short films that advertised the Marshall Plan and modernization in Italy in the 1950s. And again, a phenomenon that was extremely uh, you know, widespread uh, throughout Europe in those years, but then kind of just fell into oblivion. Um, so my work is a little bit of that of a scavenger and, and looking and digging uh, in the less expected places for um, objects that I believe are worth of our attention as scholars. You know, was did you have any pushback at all or did you have any hesitation? I, I only ask because... You know, um, let me just share like the comic studies as a field, you know, has only just recently started to really get its feet and not have to kind of apologize for what mm-hmm. we're doing. And 
you know, these are areas, low culture, uh, low brow, no brow, trash <laughs> culture, where people just don't think that there's any value. So yeah, that's my, I guess, my first question about that. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, I come from a country, Italy, uh, where, believe it or not, the entire field of gender studies is also not considered. Um, and I did my PhD at NYU, uh, which is, you know, a place that is great for film studies. But within the Department of Italian Studies, I was one of the first um, who was interested in, you know, um, you know, who was not interested in the study of literature as much as in the study of film and media. So in a way, um, I guess I find myself at home <laughs> in the places where scholars don't belong. Um, and, um, and yeah, I would agree with you, you know, then there is a sort of like hierarchies of uh, media texts, right? And the photo novel, if you want, is at the bottom of the bottom, right? Um, in, in the, especially in the 1950s, 60s and 70s, when it was the most popular, it was even, not even considered as good as comics, right? Um, it's kind of a derivative form of comics because it used photographs instead of drawings. And so there is no artistic value or um, that was the idea um, among scholars that there was no kind of uh, uh, inventive or creative, uh, uh, there could not be any kind of creativity behind the making of these. But what I was very interested in um, what I'm very interested in is the fact that there is this association also between the photo novel as a type of comics and the audience that is that of the female audience. So then the cultural hierarchies becomes really um, intertwined with the kind of gender hierarchies and the fact that cultural products for women are not as valuable or the idea that they would not be as valuable as those for a male audience. Um, they're considered, you know, trite narrative, sentimental um, things that do not really, um, do not really even uh, deserve the name of culture, right? Um, so I think in that sense, there, there are many, you know, there, there are many uh, places where scholars could go that have not been um, yet uh, uh, approached because of the many different hierarchies that are within academia and that, you know, makes things, the value of things for their quality um, and do not consider, for example, the sociological aspect of a cultural phenomenon. Um, so in that sense, the photo novel with respect to comics is perhaps even, <laughs> even more um, excluded, right? From, and, and people don't even know that they existed. Many, many people I talked to, um, especially in the US, are not really familiar with them um, as much as they could be familiar instead with them, people in, um, in South America, in France, in Italy, all the Latin country where um, there is a very long tradition of making uh, photo novels. Paola, when you were doing your work, I, um, and I don't want to go too deep in here just because I don't want to lose our listeners, but did you, of course, there is in the production, dissemination and consumption significant ripples and enrichments uh, across, you know, um, gender, sexuality, you know, all sorts of areas and issues. I wondered, political, religious, social, I wonder, 
too, if there was an aesthetic that you began to tease out, um, the selection, the framing, the, the composition, not the layout, you know, all of that type of stuff that we might talk about as an aesthetic of the photo romance. Yeah, I mean, definitely, um, you know, it's kind of like, okay, when we talk about film, right? Um, everybody knows that there are different type of films, right? Uh, without going into deep into like a, a film studies perspective, any viewer know that there is a film so-called art film and a film that is called commercial thing, that you have blockbuster movies. And so in a way, uh, the photo novel is no different as a medium, right? Um, and for example, today, there are several artists who experiment with the medium of the photo novel. That is the very idea that you can write a story by means of photographs, captions, and yes or no balloons, right? So like, like in a comic, you, sometimes you may have a, you know, a photo novel that has only caption and photograph. So the medium itself then has a variety of like, it's, it's as open as any other uh, medium to experimentation and therefore also to aesthetic experimentation, right? But as a matter of fact, what I was interested in uh, was really much more the type of photo novel that is really um, emblematic of uh, mass culture where you don't have any authors, where it's really a product of the industry that is shaped to the desire and expectation of the audience, um, where there is no sense of aesthetic because that's not um, the primary uh, the, the primary interest of those who are making them and those who are making them are, are aiming at entertaining and not uh, necessarily at producing, um, you know, uh, aesthetically valuable objects, right? Although within them, like there are different types and and, and different types of uh, readers, right? Because of the differences in terms of aesthetics of the objects. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really um, fascinating, Paola. For you, what is what is convergence culture in your work? <laughs> yeah, well, um, okay. So the, in, the idea is that um, the history of media or the production of media as text um, is not divided into separate boxes. Um, and so, especially today, but my work kind of shows that it's not a contemporary thing only. Um, whenever the industry produces, uh, for example, a film, um, then there is the possibility, the idea, and sometimes even already um, the uh, intention of making other uh, media texts that expand the narrative of that particular film, for example, in making a TV series or uh, in the case of, you know, of the uh, photo novel in the 50s and 60s, you would always have a film and then it's printed version in a photo novel. Um, and then you have the expansion of a narrative into what we call a narrative world. So that's one of the main um, the 
main uh, uh, way to describe it. The other way to to talk about it is, the, again, the fact that you are talking about a kind of culture that is converging different media because has the intention of appealing to a kind of audience that is a sort of a nomadic audience, an audience that is not limited. It does not just like to go watch a movie. It's a type of spectator that um, can be much more enticed and become a loyal customer uh, of, you know, uh, for, for a, a movie company if also that particular product is then expanded into other um, kinds of media. That could be also television, of course, radio. Um, so it's this kind of an idea of a, of a culture that is a network at one, right? And you don't only have uh, one media, media uh, medium um, alone, but you have a connection between all of them because of the fact that um, audiences um, have this kind of expectation of be able to expand and to be entertained across multiple media platforms. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in you know, we see it, of course, with the Hollywood behemoth, the right. huge, you know, Hollywood industrial complex, and it sort of grabbing everything, you know, um, lead ups with comics to right. the big tent film and, you know, everything, right? And even action figures. Um, but how does a country like Italy kind of, <laughs> you know, with its much sort of smaller general kind of production of a convergence culture? You know, how do you see it working within that national yeah. space? Yeah, I guess um, I guess you, it's it's again um, finding um, you can find it in the most unexpected place. So, like, yes, you would think you know Italy as a um, as a country cannot be farther from, let's say, the Hollywood context. But as a matter of fact, since the nineteen thirties in Italy. Um, media companies, they already worked very similar to what today we call conglomerates or to what we call an integrated firm. So, for example, you would have Rizzoli, that is a very major famous publisher who also owned a, a film production company um, and also had a newsreel company. And so at the same time, they could uh, publish books, publish magazines, illustrated magazines, especially where you would find, for example, advertisement for a movie that they produce. And then this movie that they produce would also be advertised in the newsreel um, that was shown before other movies. So as a matter of fact, not only um, this way of producing um, media production, it's not just contemporary, but it can be, you know, in a way you can do a sort of archaeology of um, convergence culture, but also uh, it's much more expanded globally than you would expect. And a country like Italy was actually at the avant-garde um, in those years. And the photo novel is an example in that sense of um, publishers in the 50s, late 40s, um, who understood that, for example, the power of advertisement and the way in which you could brand uh, culture and associate, for example, certain characters with certain brands um, so that the magazines would be the place for certain companies, industry of uh, goods, 
to advertise their product, knowing that readers would then, for example, on TV, uh, watch these uh, very famous uh, advertisement, uh, television advertisement, where you would have associated a character um, with the product, a little story um, with a with a commercial uh, with a commercial product. So, in, in a way, um, Italy was not. Uh, you know, Italy as a, especially in the post-war period, of course, that's where I focus especially, um, was really, um, if you want, Americanized, <laughs> um, but definitely a country where uh, mass culture and mass production for mass consumption was very much developed. And commercial culture is uh, basically, uh, it comes with it, right? It comes with a certain uh, way. Yeah, absolutely of uh, you know with a with a with a modern society modernized society and so forth mm -hmm. yeah it's important <laughs> i think it's really important i know you teach a media convergence transmedia course um but it's so important for our students um and i think the population in general in places like the united states that can be so self-centric to know that we're not the only you know place that this really exciting work is happening and you know that we're somehow not stuck in the backwaters or the the stone age when you know you go to places like mexico or italy if, or many you know countries outside of the united states yeah with the, you know today with the with something like netflix for example it becomes much more visible um to everyone what it means to have global reach um so national how, how can national production really have uh, global audiences and global distribution um in ways that almost are so seamless that um, you may not even realize i mean sometimes it is advertised as local right it's, it's global right? it's both global and local so many of our students may be familiar with the tv series gomora for example um which is based on a book um that was a bestseller published in italy and then published in, in so many different languages um and it became you know a, an international success um so things like that happen can happen more and more today because of the way in which most of these products that can be accessed through the internet. So clearly the digital revolution did make a difference. And, you know, speaking of the 60s as compared to, um, to today. So in a way, it was already in place earlier, but now today because of the technology, because of the way in which we can access, um, you know, Mexican uh, TV series in, in much, much more easily than um, it could have happened before. You have the same. Do you see the same uh, a kind of pattern with uh, you know Narcos and other ways right. that Netflix and so on? It's like Mexico is has become framed and known only you know in terms of a specific genre, and that genre is usually the crime genre, the 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 narcotraficante genre. And, you know, I was just thinking about Gamora, you mentioned that. And, you know, very often we when people think of, you know, the, the great stuff coming out of Italy today in the contemporary moment, they turn to things like Gamora. But right. what are you seeing? Well, um, I'm happy to be able to say right now that, you know, uh, you do have Gamora, but you also have the brilliant friend. 
right? So um, you and, and I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's another HBO. It's an HBO series based on very famous quadrilogy of books by um, Italian writer Elena Ferrante, um, and it's a story about female friendship in Naples. So the location is very much the same as Gomorrah, but um, the narratives are instead really about the friendship between these two girls, and then follows the story of these two girls throughout um, Italian history. It goes, you know, to adolescence and then adulthood. Um, and so it, it does both care to a different kind of target audience. One is was not just associating the country of Italy with mafia, or which which has a very long tradition. So I don't think there is nothing wrong with that in the sense that the you know the the, the appeal of Gomorrah um, it, it's definitely connected to a very long uh, tradition and appeal of mafia movie from The Godfather and so on. Um, but I think The Brilliant Friendly, for example, is a very good example of how also alternative kind of narratives can become of a global appeal and the success of The Brilliant Friend, I think is a demonstration of that. Highly recommend that if you haven't watched it. I, I, yeah, let's tell our listeners for sure. I've seen it, um, at least the first season, My Brilliant Friend, so good. Um, Paola, where do you see your work? Where do you see kind of the convergence work, the work at the, the, the cultural production at the margins of Italy in the, proximate and near and even maybe distant future? Well, right now I am very excited. I'm working on a new project on the Italian Western. Uh, I kind of developed also uh, very much a passion for um, for genres and genre film and, you know, the photo novel considered uh, not only so this association between gender and genre. So photo uh, novel being mostly about, you know, melodrama or romance uh, connected to a female audience. And now I'm really looking into instead the Western genre, both as, again, kind of an epitome of this uh, cultural transmission between the U.S. and Italy, um, as well as a uh, type of media product that, um definitely was not born a masculine one, uh, but it became one uh, because of the way in which the industry really favor um, gender labeling and this association between, for example, the Western and boys or uh, later on when in the earlier period and then later in the 60s with the spaghetti Western, clearly an adult um, masculine audience. Uh, so I'm reading a lot about Buffalo Bill, the Wild West show in Italy. It's a lot of fun. Beautiful, amazing. And I so look forward to this next work of yours, this next book. I want to just thank you, Paola, for taking the time to share a little bit about your journey and, and what you're doing and the significance and importance of the work that you're doing in this these very specific areas that have otherwise not been given the opportunity to shine. Thank you, Paola, so much. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Into the Colaverse is produced by the University of Texas at Austin's College of Liberal Arts. Sound engineering by the Liberal Arts Instructional Technology Services. You can find Into the Colaverse podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Thanks for listening and see you next time.